We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. Not just today, but every time you tune in. We're continuing our sermon series called the Sermon on the Mount. And today's sermon is titled, Imitators of Christ. I want to use the scripture, 1 Corinthians 4, 12 through 17. We work hard with our own hands. When we are insulted, we respond with blessing. When we are harassed, we put up with it. When our reputation is attacked, we are encouraging. When we have become scum of the earth, the waste that runs off everything up to the present time. I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed, but to warn you, since you are my loved children. You may have 10,000 mentors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. I gave birth to you in Christ Jesus through the gospel, so I encourage you to follow my example. This is a sermon on how we can be all that God wants us to be as the church. And I'm definitely going to use a lot of church history and a lot of quotes from people in the early church to, in a sense, just bring light to character growth and how we are to be all that God wants us to be. And this Sermon on the Mount series definitely has shown me how to be that light of the world. And when we gather, we definitely amplify the Holy Spirit in this way. As individual lights, we come together and we become that city on the hill, that for the sojourner to see miles away. So we don't put our light under the basket. We don't hide our light for no one to see. We let it shine and we put it out on a lampstand. And so that's what we're going to learn how to do in a practical and historical way. We're going to look at the early church and how they did it as well. So there's something that I just want to give you to maybe shape our thinking a little bit and help us find maybe more freedom in our deeds and our work. The early church had a saying that they wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see this in a lot of writings of the early church, and we even use that today, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet Christians already believe that we have the Holy Spirit. In the early church, when they wrote filled with the Holy Spirit, they believed that they had the Holy Spirit. So it, it wasn't about asking God to fill us from above with something that we don't have or they didn't have. They were not asking God to fill them full of salvation. What they were asking for is the strength to do the work and deeds and be filled with celebration. So it'd be almost like saying, Lord, give me strength. And through my deeds and through my work, you be glorified. It's not asking for more of God, but for more of the spirit to be seen like that light for the world to see. And in order to do that, the early church practiced certain disciplines that I hope that we can still put into practice today. So what made the early church grow in passion, conviction, and courage? That's what we're going to talk about in this sermon. Rebuilding the church as it relates to the Sermon on the Mount and the intention of the sermon Jesus gave in the first century. So here's our first quote. Beloved brethren, we are philosophers not in words, but in deeds. We exhibit our wisdom not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. 
We do not speak great things, but we live them. That's a Cyprian quote in 256. So we know that people prefer example before talk. Talk is cheap, right? Show me. So people prefer example. And this is something that needs to be lived by and thought about deeply in our Christian life. We need to exude example. We need to always love by example. Speak but through example. The stories that are given to us carried forward and, 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 and exuded by example. Well, Justin Martyr in the second century said this, it is our responsibility to offer our lives to all people for inspection. By our patience and meekness, Christians will draw all people. That's a powerful statement, that patience and meekness, that people will be drawn to us through our patience, something I possibly need to work on, and maybe you could consider the same and join me in that journey of meekness and patience. Well, Matthew 5 in verse 14, what we've been going over lately, you are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good deeds you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. So a question that I'm going to attempt to answer today, and maybe metaphorically and with nuance, is how are we to grow spiritually so that the world will see our example? Well, for a story today, I just want to give this beautiful story about a person by the name of Perpetua and, and their friend Felicity. In the early 200s in northern Africa, in the town of Carthage, people would gather at an amphitheater for the Roman games. And it was a time for people to enjoy violent games. They killed people in the amphitheater. But it also reinforced how life worked in the Roman culture. People would sit in the amphitheater according to their stations in life. It was a separation of the classes. It was a separation of the statuses and also the genders. How people were treated in the arena was a reinforcement of Roman protocol and Roman culture. So gladiators would fight other gladiators, and then gladiators would fight animals. And at the end, criminals would be brought in, and they would be mauled by the animals, and maybe you've heard these stories before, and their final execution was done by the gladiators. And people would cheer when the gladiators would kill and execute finally the criminals. Well, on May 7th, 203, the criminals didn't behave the way that they were supposed to. Usually criminals would scatter, scatter and every man for themselves type of behavior. But on this particular day, the criminals came in together, arm in arm, different ages, different genders, and they gathered versus scattered. They didn't run. So when one got knocked down, the other would prop them up. And one particular person, Perpetua, and her friend Felicity, early 20s, both of them, new mothers, both of them, Perpetua was free and Felicity was a slave. They supported each other. They were there encouraging each other in the final moments before their death. 
They moved towards each other right before they died. They moved towards each other and kissed one another. They made sure to care for the other person. Perpetua actually looked to the other onlookers so that they saw that she was without fear. And then they were executed. Well, this was the Christian attitude. In the moments of great stress and even in death, they exuded a sense of patience and peace and meekness. They trained themselves for daily opportunity to love others. They trained themselves to handle these moments of death. Well, there's a historian named Alan Crater, and he says this about the early Christians. The sources rarely indicate that the early Christians grew in number because they won arguments. Instead, they grew because of their habitual behavior, rooted in patience. It was distinctive and intriguing. When challenged about their ideas, Christians pointed to their actions. They believed that their habitus, their embodied behavior, was eloquent. Now, I want you to remember that word habitus here, and I'm going to carry that forward through the rest of the sermon. Their behavior said what they believed. It was an enactment of their message. So they didn't force things to happen. They didn't stand on street corners with a bullhorn. They didn't force people to believe. We don't have to be great orators and theologians to get the point across. We have to move through the world in a way that speaks Jesus. We need to live like we believe Jesus is real. So their behavior, as this quote said, their behavior was an enactment of their belief. Well, if we rewind this story of Perpetua a few weeks prior, they were arrested in a town about 35 miles from Carthage. They were arrested, tried, and found to be Christians. They were then sold into the gladiator enterprise and transported to the amphitheater. There was another person by the name of Saturus, and he was Perpetua and Felicity's discipler. And he finds out that they were arrested, and he submitted himself to the authorities, confessed that he was a Christian, so that he could join them in this imprisonment. He wanted to join them in their final hours and encourage them in the last days of their life. So in this prison, they encouraged each other, they built each other up, talked about Jesus, and helped each other be faithful to the final day. Saturus was actually able to baptize Perpetua in jail. Well, another person by the name of Perdens was the guard that oversaw these prisoners, and he actually became a believer in the church, and we know this, we, and we actually know this because he continued on being a believer and talked about these final days with perpetual felicity and Saturus. So we actually know all this information from the guard. And Perdens becomes a believer because he saw the power within these perceived weak people. He called it the aura of God. So Justin Martyr said this, many who were once on your side, so the non-believer side, so those who were once on your side have turned from their ways of violence and tyranny, overcome by observing the consistent lives of their Christian neighbors or noting the strange patience of their insulted or injured acquaintances or experiencing the way they did business 
with them. Now, I love that section of this quote. This quote actually by Justin Martyr is well known and has always stuck with me as a business owner because my prayer is that the way people do business with me, I want them to see something different. I want them to see me as someone that actually believes Jesus, that doesn't come with judgment and hate, that doesn't come with a lack of love, but comes with an immense love for our community and always, always, always wanting to stand on the side of kindness and generosity. So the question for all of us in our hobbies, our tasks, our daily things that we do, are we showing the immense amount of love of Christ in the casual contact of our daily interactions? Are we encouraging each other that our message would be enacted in our life work or our life, our life hobbies or the things that we do? Well, again, in 1 Corinthians 4, we work hard with our own hands. When we are insulted, we respond with a blessing. When we are harassed, we put up with it. When our reputation is attacked, we are encouraging. We have become the scum of the earth, the waste that runs off everything up to the present time. I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed, but to warn you since you are my loved children. You, have, you may have 10,000 mentors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. So he is he is actually calling them, calling himself a spiritual father to these people. I gave birth to you in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So as soon as they became a part of the family of God, that is family. That is, he is calling themselves, calling himself their father, that he actually gave birth through the gospel to them, and they are part of this church family. So I encourage you to follow my example. And this is why I've sent Timothy to you. So he's using letter writing, but he's also sending Timothy. And this is, this is my backing. This is my, my boy. He's my son. He's my loved and trusted child in the Lord. He'll remind you about my way of life in Christ Jesus. So they need a reminder uh, through Timothy, and this is the form of discipleship, that he is showing, that he has taught Timothy his way of life in Christ. Now Timothy is going to teach that same way that he teaches everywhere in the church. Some have become arrogant as if I'm not coming to see you. But if the, if Lord, is, if the Lord is willing, I'll come to you soon. Then I won't focus on what these arrogant people say, but I'll find out what power they possess. God's kingdom isn't about words, but about power. Which do you want? Should I come to you with a big stick to punish you or with the love and gentle spirit? So, so this is the way that we manifest the gospel. This is how we, they cultivated their habitus. Remember that word earlier in the sermon? Habitus, this word habitus is, is a sociological term, and it actually means ingrained habits and dispositions, socially ingrained habits and dispositions. So sociologists use this word to describe the way a person sees the world around them and how they react to it. Not just how they see it, but also how they react to it. The social reflexes that we acquire through life. So it's not just about how you see the world, 
It's actually more. Your habitus is how when pressure or stress or anything, any stimulus is pointed your way and that you experience this stimulus, how are you going to respond to it? What is your habitus? And so we develop habitus through imitation. We develop habitus through story. And we also develop habitus through repetition. So imitation, we see it and we copy it. We follow somebody for a while, we learn, we job shadow, whatever we do, we have an imitation of habitus. But then if we can't witness it, then we, we uh, hear a story of it or we tell the story of it to pass it on. So we either see it ourselves or we hear the story of it and then repetition, then we put it into practice and we repeat it over and over and over. And eventually it becomes habitus in our lives. I see people's habitus all the time. And I hear how people speak words of prejudice, of racism, of hate, of judgment, basically sin. I hear people just basically vomiting up words that they're so used to using and phrases and statements and judgments about others that they're so used to saying and acting out in ways that they're so used to acting. Why? Because it's their habitus. They've practiced something and they repeat it over and over. And maybe it was imitated for them. Maybe somebody gave them this practice or they heard a story and they liked it or they agreed with the story and then they put into practice. Well, the Christian habitus is that if we are scorned, if we are, if we are made to be ashamed of, right, or we're made fun of or we're, we're, we're attacked in a way, we turn the other cheek. That's what the, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, is that, is that when we are persecuted, that we find God's glory. When we are shamed, we find God's affirmation. When we are, when we are accused, we find God's acceptance. That is our habitus, is we turn to Jesus and we follow the ways of Jesus when we feel or experience some, some societal oppression or some societal um, attack. So if we do the work and we do the hard work, we can repeat it. And in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that we are made new. Christians are to work from the outside in and the inside out to reflect who we truly are. When, when the Bible says we're made new, it's not some mythological dream of becoming something that you're not. It's about truly acting out the way that you truly believe that you are. And then we get into practice or we do things or we, we put ourselves in situations or liminal experiences that we engage in that become character transforming, habitus forming, that our character changes, mind changes, mind transforming, heart transformation, habitus forming, and we cultivate this habitus intentionally. So we train ourselves when it comes to our belief about people. We train ourselves in our propensity to have uh, no hate or no prejudice in our life and, and always to love, cultivating habitus in our language and the way that we speak about others or things or ideas, cultivating a habitus in the acts of kindness and what we do in our, in our holy deeds. Well, Pastor Jake introduced me to the idea of habit bundling because 
that seems like a tall order to me, that I'm to practice these things and to do these things, and my entire habitus changes in my life. Because I was trained a certain way. I learned a certain way. I know a certain thing, and my my pipeline of logic is a certain way. And so when the things that you tell me are right, if they enter my pipeline of logic, they come out whatever my opinion is or whatever I was trained to think or act or do. Well, in order to change our habitus, sometimes we need stimulus. Sometimes we need reward. Sometimes we need to put ourselves in an intentional practice. And he called it habit bundling, where we where he read this concept and then shared it with me this way. If you like certain things, like reading a great novel, listening to music, watching movies, and you don't like certain things, like exercise, studying, preparation, laborious work, right? you bundle them together. So you read while you do the, 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 the hard thing. You, you do the, the fun thing while you do the hard thing. So you read while you do the Stairmaster. You listen to your music while you're preparing for your exam. You reward yourself with downtime when you accomplish or finish uh, and, and, and accomplish a project or whatever. So psychologists have proven that you can exponentially increase your productivity and change your habits through habit bundling. So I think that this applies to our habitus, our Christian habitus, training ourselves through bundling these things together. So if you don't want to do a certain thing, I, I just, I, I thought of this one, where if, if you go and you, like, you want to perform a task or you want to help your neighbor, right, bring lunch to them. If, if, you, if you have to perform a deed or a duty for somebody, bring something that both of you can enjoy with you to share. Could it be a dessert? Could it be a, a snack? Could it be a, a drink? That you come together around this social idea in order to accomplish the deed. I think that that's the way we train ourselves to, to new habits, so not only do we imitate, but then we have story and repetition to, in order to react to our social surroundings so that people will see us and witness the love of Christ. And sometimes this takes a break from our normal practices, our normal, the way that we do things, because we all know that going and helping somebody repair their fence, right, is a good deed, or helping the neighbor repair their bricks on the front of their house or helping somebody do something like cooking a meal for somebody that is bound to their home. We all know that those things are good things to do, but what would help us to do them and then to practice them on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? So I would encourage us to bundle things, fun things with the deed or share in fellowship together in a certain way that brings celebration to the holy deed. So the reading of scripture, the practice of prayer, the breath of words, the waking up early for meditation, the eating of a meal and saying prayers, tithing even, all of these things are habitus. They're practices that, that shape us and mold us to be more like the whole person that we are meant to be through Jesus. The practice of habitus. And so if I can encourage us 
to develop and think deeply about our habitus, that when we enter into stressful situations, when we enter into the most chaotic situations, the most crisis-based situations, or just daily life, that we enter into the casual contact with people, that we would practice Christian habitus. And because we are, people would be drawn to Jesus for salvation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for holy deeds. Thank you for the practice of casual contact that we can share the love of Christ in creative ways just in our daily things that we do. Lord, help us to develop habitus, Lord, that speaks and glorifies your son Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.